The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Finelli. I'm Chip Patterson. I uh, hope your weekend went well. Obviously, it was a, a very busy week last week. Be sure to go back and uh, check out a uh, great Fantastic mailbag featuring uh, some tales from Tallahassee, which we've gotten a great response to. Also, Ty Simpson, emergency podcast after he chose Alabama over Clemson. Man, it's nice to see the plucky underdog Crimson Tide be able to get a win for once on the recruiting trail. Uh, We've got a really exciting week for you this week. We'll be taking a look at some super seniors later in the week. And gentlemen, I hope you have started to get those binders out and prepare those notes because starting next week... Oh, baby, spring practice talk. We'll be going conference by conference. Uh, The spring gleaning series uh, that we rolled out last year got a lot of of positive response, and so we're going to be doing that once again with uh, division by division breakdowns for some of the 14-team conferences as well as deep dives on the Big 12 and the Pac-12 as well. All that begins next week. Follow and stream on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Before we get into the business of today, uh, we got a little bit of news over the weekend, and it was a a pretty newsy weekend, especially as, you know, we come right out of the transfer show last week, talking about Florida, talking about uh, Eric Gilbert, five-star, kept his five-star status. I mean, he just, you know, he's going to arrive, he's going to be a part of this Florida offense, he's going to not be at Florida. So he announces on Twitter that he is decommitting from Florida and he has entered the transfer portal. Um, I, I'll throw this to you first, bud. Were you, did you get any notion, like any, any inkling uh, leading up to, I believe it was like a Saturday tweet. It was a little, or maybe it was Sunday news by the time uh, he, he really started to come out. And what's been the buzz uh, either around Florida or, or other potential schools in terms of who might be able to get this like obvious instant impact talent. I I did not get any, any inkling that this was coming. Um, I mean, full disclosure, I, if I'm not at a recruiting camp, you know, in the off season, I'm usually pretty unplugged, right? I, I, I shut Slack down all that stuff, but 
even in our Slack, I, I don't think a lot of people saw this coming. And this wasn't like something that the school announced. It was something that, that Gilbert himself announced. Um, as far as where he'll go, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could go back to LSU. Maybe he goes the junior college route, right? We, we, we have to see uh, without speculating, right? I mean, you can. About, you, well, if, you want, I, if you want to wildly speculate, maybe uh, leave that for me. I'll, I'll do that later. My guess is that the reason he decommitted was not something that is on-field related. And where he ends up will like, largely be determined by how he gets that stuff resolved. Mm. Tom, so, Danny, any thoughts? Is this academics? Is that kind of the... I, I really don't know. I, I just I, the, the word I got was like not football related. So... Mm. I I would assume I don't know. Um, I I kind of it's I I'd agree with Bud. Like I don't know how we could really know where he's going to end up from here without knowing what it was that caused him to decommit from Florida and to move on. So until all that stuff is settled, I don't know. Maybe it ends up like Bud just said. Maybe he goes the JUCO route for a year and then jumps back in, or maybe there's somebody else he's going to end up in. You know, just a couple weeks with spring practice and getting going. Who knows? I just think that it's from Florida's perspective, it's bad news because, mm. you know, losing Kyle Pitts in the NFL draft, Gilbert kind of struck you as a somewhat ready-made replacement, just fit right into that offense that has also lost Kyle Trask. It's losing Kadarius Tony. It's losing a lot of key players at skill positions in production. And Gilbert kind of, you know, gave you a sense of confidence in being able to replace at least some of it without losing or skipping a beat too much. So now you lose him this part of the process. At least it's before the spring practice is really started. So if anybody else is going to step up and take that role, you've got plenty of time to figure it out. Like, I'd rather it happen in February if I'm Florida than happen in July. So I think that is a silver lining for them, but it's just, it, it does hurt because we talked about, like you said, Chip, last week, we were talking about the transfer portal. Florida had killed the transfers this year because you rarely see five-star or high four-star transfers at skill positions that aren't really quarterback and Florida landed two of them. And now they've only got one. Yeah, Demarcus Bowman, uh, the other one there, somebody from uh, Clemson. Uh, speaking of Clemson, two more pieces of news before we start to dig into the big conversation of the day. Uh, Darian Kendrick dismissed from Clemson. The uh, very talented defensive back has, uh, according to multiple reports around the team, he like I, I, I don't know the way the best way to define this, and I don't want Ross Taylor to come hunt me down for saying it wrong. But I, I will say that like. My words, not anybody else's, Dabo's doghouse appears to be a thing, right? Like there are these players and they, they for one reason or another, uh, find their way into needing to work themselves back into good graces. Darian Kendrick, uh, based on reports, had gotten a lot of opportunities and a path to be able to you know live up to what I think a lot of people saw as like potential all-conference, potential NFL draft kind of stock and status. His departure is something that I, I think is going to hurt just because you take away a talented player like that from the secondary, especially with all the conversations we've had about um, the back end of that Clemson defense, which, but as you pointed out several times, we criticize it a lot less when you got four aces uh, up there on the defensive line. But when you look at the rest of Clemson's secondary do you see uh, that, you know, whether it's an Andrew Booth, whether it's a Malcolm Green starting to step up, do you see enough pieces that the back end of that defense is not going to be severely hurt uh, by the departure of Darion Kendrick? Anybody? 
Bud's on mute. I'm muted. All right, my there bad. <laughs> I, look, I, okay, good. I, I thought. <laughs> I was like, oh, did I lose? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, I, I think Clemson's defense will will mostly be fine, but yet, like, there's a reason that Clemson put up with Kendrick for as long as they did, and that's because he's really talented. We, we've spoken on the show before about how. Like Clemson's recruiting guys, they say, like Dabo says, you only get a certain number of knuckleheads per class. And at Clemson, that number is real low. They put a real premium on culture. Like we know Clemson could probably recruit better if it dropped its character component a little bit. Like you could get a more talented kid in there more often, right? They, they could take some more chances on kids. But they took a chance on Kendrick, and I mean, he played very well for them at times, and they put up with him for a long time. And I guess now it was just finally enough. It is a little bit surprising that. Like, this is a guy who came back for his senior year as opposed to going pro and then gets the boot. So I, I am curious as to what happened. But uh, I think they'll be okay. Clemson has recruited so well. And they, they were – like, they're better players last year, I think, in the back end. We're just young guys. I think they'll continue to emerge. Yeah, see, that was my thing with it all. It was just the fact that, like you said, he came back for his senior year and now he's getting the boot. I feel like this is just whether we're ever going to find out or I'm not going to speculate, but just clearly something happened in the last week or two. Well, is it the, is, is it the um, mystique of Clemson doesn't have players leave Clemson doesn't miss on guys is, is all that starting to just slowly fade away as it no longer is the program on the rise, but now the program at the top. I mean, Mike Jones jr. Leaves the program to go play for LSU. Um, we've got a, a couple instances of, you know, players leaving the program in, in recent years, not many, but it, it doesn't seem to fit the perfect uh, almost fairy tale narrative that surrounded Clemson during a lot of the rise to power like 2015 to 2018. I mean, I don't know if it's really starting to fade. Uh, probably a little because I do think that no matter what, like that whole narrative is always going to be overstated. Any narrative is typically overstated when it comes to that kind of stuff about a program. So I guess it might start fading, but I, I don't know if I would take like a whole, you know, oh, we're seeing a sea change in the way that Clemson and the culture and all that kind of stuff. But also to Bud's point, like Clemson's elevated to a self now where they lose a player like this and it's not that big of a deal, you know, because they have amassed more talent. So I think it speaks to Dabo's culture that he's created. I do think he has a reputation of building this family atmosphere. We're going to hold you accountable and being stricter and having high standard of character. So I commend him for sticking with that no matter what, you know, no matter who the player is. And I think that resonates in a locker room for sure. One other piece of uh, player news for coming off the weekend. We look at former Texas Tech quarterback Alan Bowman. He announces that he's going to be transferring to Michigan. Danny, is Alan Bowman going to be able to change the way things have been going? We talk about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan quarterbacks time and time again. Let's get back to the well, baby. Can Bowman turn things around for this Josh Gaddis offense in Ann Arbor? Bowman will bring a Big Ten championship to Ann Arbor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is such a, I just wanted to get that on, on clip there. You could clip it and send it off. I have no idea, right? I mean, this is kind of like all the transfer movement. There's no guarantee. Nobody thought Joe Burrow was going to bring a championship to LSU. Even after he started for a year, no one said, oh, he's going to bring a championship to LSU when Joe Brady came in. Uh to me, it's more, and if I was Jim Harbaugh, I would be trying to do what he is doing 
and I would do this at any school. I would collect as many quarterbacks as I could, as many as I could recruit, as many as I could hold in that quarterback room. I would say, you guys are going to go battle it out, and you won't, the rest of you are probably going to leave, but may the best man win and let them have at it. You have to, and maybe one of them sticks around, and then you have two. But at this point, the way they've had – you know, the, the success just has not – been there for a true difference-making quarterback. Remember Shea Patterson after starting a couple years at Ole Miss? He was going to be the answer, and it was this was the salvation, and he had a lot more experience than Bowman did. So I, I don't know if this is the answer, but I think it's a smart move to sign another quarterback where at least you know he's capable of running an offense and bring him in there and compete with the other guys. Yeah, I don't think Bowman's walking into Ann Arbor as the starter in, in 2021. I think that Bowman provides useful depth at the position in case you need it. I think that in an ideal situation, and I don't know if this will be what happens, but I think that if you're Michigan, ideally you just signed five-star JJ McCarthy Mm -hmm. in your 2021 class. Ideally, you love to have him on campus this spring in the offense. You'd love to see him looking good and looking capable of running the offense. And you go into 2021 where he's playing well enough that he's your starter. But again, We've seen that a lot more in recent years, but there's no guarantee that a true freshman is going to step in and be able to do everything that you want in such a quick time frame and be ready to compete at the level that Michigan wants and kind of feels like it probably needs to compete going into 2021. So if that plan doesn't work and with other guys in the roster, you know, you got Cade McNamara, Joe Milton is transferring out. He's in the portal. I think that having Bowman, somebody with plenty of experience at Texas tech in an offense, it's not the same, but it's a little more similar with what Michigan has kind of started to transition to with what it wants to do offensively. So he has some familiarity with what they're looking for. And he's at least shown an adeptness and an ability to run it. I think it raises the floor of the QB position. So maybe he's the starter at the beginning of the season, but the ultimate plan is to get McCarthy ready to take over. And, you know, you're giving him time in the non-conference games. And I don't have Michigan's schedule in front of me, so I can't remember who their early non-con games are against, but they're usually, I don't think they've got like a huge game scheduled in non-con. I could be wrong. But I think that that could be like that way you could ease McCarthy in. And if it doesn't work or maybe Bowman just plays well enough where it's like, because we've seen, you know, when, since Jim Harbaugh came to Michigan, he's brought in transfers like this before. And, you know, they've worked for him, although obviously it hasn't worked to the level that they want. But I think that they've had success going this route. And they just think that with Bowman, OK, at the worst, we've got a decent quarterback. Uh, Washington week two, by the way. There, OK, there we go. But I, I agree. I mean, like, at the worst, it's depth. This is a quarterback room. It's an experience. I don't really see the downside here. Cade McNamara, Alan Bowman, J.J. McCarthy, that's pretty much the battle, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like Tom was saying, you know, he's not going to be the starter. No one is, right? I mean, and Harbaugh famously will not tell anybody until mm-hmm. kickoff. You know, the first game, he's, you know he's not going to tell anybody. It's but been I really effective, Dan. competition. <laughs> what is that? You said it's been really effective. Yeah, it's been real effective uh, at confusing opponents. The uh, Yeah, J.J. McCarthy, as you mentioned, on campus right now and from Illinois, not Florida, just because he went to IMG Academy. That was not Michigan going into Florida. He's from Illinois. Remember. Played at NAS, Nazareth, not too far from where I grew up. Ooh, conference rival? Uh, No, 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 no. They're a private school. I went to... I went to Proviso. Yeah, I went to Proviso West, West Suburban Silver. Shout out. Let's go. 
All right. Well, the the business of the day, uh, we've we're gonna take a look uh, into the the future, into the future of the postseason, into the future of the college football playoff. What do we think is gonna happen? What do we want to happen? The timeline, the format, all of those things, and more. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So the... We, we hinted at this uh, during one of last week's shows, the idea that we would be, you know, look, moving forward, looking at the, uh, the college football playoff. And I, I think that the place where I'd like to start is, uh, are you in a position, as we sit here recording at the beginning of March in 2021, are you at least at the position where you're expecting that when the next contract, or at least when the year passes such that we have had 12 college football playoffs, that the format will be different when we start year 13 of the college football playoff. Like, have, have you already gotten to that point where whether it's uh, an expansion, uh, whether, whether it's an expansion to six, an expansion to eight, uh, a change to the format, a total power five breakaway and everything changing, are, are you already to that point in your expectations that in the future, the college football playoff will not look as it has looked for the last seven iterations once we start year 13? Yeah, it's expanding. I'd say the expectation for me, and I think I said this in our last pod when we were all together, was... I expect things to be dramatically different in five years, whether it's just expansion. I think that's the easiest assumption to make. The other unknowns of what do the conferences look like? What does expansion look like? What is the power five break off? Is there a group of five championship? Those I'm not as confident on. I don't know, but I would be, I'd be willing to almost guarantee you get expanded playoffs. Hmm. Same. Wouldn't you guys? I mean, is it, oh, would anybody yeah. take yeah. a bet against it? Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. Okay, but Every I'm coach knows it too. I'm a. I, if you asked me to vote, I would vote against it. But I'm in so a. Posi- I. I'm I'm in a position of um, acceptance right now, where I'm like, it's going to change. I mean, there's too much momentum, and there are arguments that I acknowledge are pretty good arguments for reasons why it should expand. So I guess that. That would be like, where, where do you think those arguments, where do you all see those arguments hinging? Like, why is expansion getting more uh, steam right now? And why do you think will be the ultimate reasons that are cited for why expansion or the playoff format is going to change? Because the disease of more is real. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter what we have, we want more. <laughs> I So I genuinely... I'm passionate about college football, right? We all are. I 
think college football can be better. I think it can be more, quote, fair. I think it can be less confusing. I think you could look at it and you could make less accusations of bias. Um, You could bring in the West Coast again, which has been absolutely just alienated from the college football picture. Like, So I think the sport could be healthier from a standpoint of, Every other sport has a real playoff. Why can't we? Like, And that, to me, is a better solution for the sport. Not one ounce of me wanting expansion has to do with breaking up the Bama dynasty, the Clemson run, the Ohio State dominance, and Oklahoma. We'll probably see... Same four teams again at the final four. Like that is, if that's your motive, you are crazy. That's not going to be, those programs will probably, something inside their program will mess them up. It's not going to be because you open up the playoff and you expand. I just, and I also think like there's so many counter arguments that I just don't understand. And probably the one that makes the least sense to me is. Oh, well, the regular season matters. Like we have to keep the integrity of the regular season and we don't want to become the NCAA uh, basketball where the regular season doesn't matter. That will never happen uh, in college football. The regular season will always matter. And if you expand the month of November, which is really what should matter the most, like when you get down the home stretch will matter that much more. So I think it'll enhance the regular season. It'll enhance scheduling. Uh, It'll make college football better. I agree with Danny on that. Um, you know, when people make the counter argument that like, look, it, it, do you really think that, that these teams are going to win the playoff if they get in? No, I, I don't. Right. They would have to win three games against teams that probably out recruit them in a row, which is almost certainly not going to happen. The reason you expand the playoff is not because you want to see more teams win the championship. The reason you expand the playoff is quite frankly, because ESPN paid billions of dollars for the playoff or whatever they paid, just a a ton of money. And because every single commercial break, whether you're watching Kent State versus Ball State or you're watching, you know, Bama LSU is, are you in? Are you in? Are you in? Here's the four. Here's the four. All right. The the race for the four. That has an effect of alienating the rest of the country. And when you alienate large swaths of the country, I have a real concern, like over the next couple of years, that this sport becomes too regional, right? Because of the teams that are winning, but because of fans out there who think, hey, my team and my team's conference do not have a legitimate chance to get in this thing and that we're out of the race, not to win, but we're out of the race to get in before Halloween. And that's not healthy for the sport. Like, that's the number one. The other alternative, I think, is tell ESPN to start caring more about other games and not run these commercials all the time. And they're going to be like, mm, no dice. We just paid this much money for the playoff. Like, we're going to need this thing. That, that I think for the health of the sport, actually, is why I'm in favor of expanding it because while I don't think those teams have a real chance to win if they get in, their fans don't know that. Mm-hmm. We like we, we, we can feed them the nonsense they have a real chance to win if they get in, and let's give them a chance to get in, and if they lose, that's on them. So if there was no playoff, do you think that we would still have the uh, potential alienation factor? Be, no, not as much, because I think – a lot of people will dismiss the fact that Bama and Ohio State and Clemson are much better than their teams. They, they, it's Right now, with the current format, it's easy for them to look at that and ignore that fact and instead think it's an access problem as opposed to a talent and, and competency problem, right? If we remove the access problem, then at least they know they get a fair shot to get in. What they do once they're in, 
that's on them. Because I would, again, I, I am coming around and I'm, I'm really entertaining. I had a lot of fun thinking about this. I got a lot of notes here. I, I'm finding ways to get myself excited because if I had a vote, we would do this. It, I would claim a title play all the bowl games, you know, like it's, it's going to be totally aligned. And you know what? There might be one team playing in the orange bowl and one team playing in the sugar bowl, whichever one impresses the voters more, they're going to be the national champion because I think that the national championship in general in the sport of college football is overrated. And it's like my ninth most important thing that I care about behind um, like the rivalries, the social aspect. Like I do think it, I mean, the started as a regional sport. I think that the fact that you've got that, you know, regional interest, like you against your rivals, those areas of the country where at an office, you've got a lot of different alumni from different schools and, and that sort of like feeds into the lifestyle. So many people draw their personal identity on their school and how hard I root for it. And, and we love them for it. Yeah, and, and we love that. They're right. listening to a college ball podcast in the offseason. season. Thank love you that. And so for those reasons, I'm I'm totally okay with a very throwback approach to covering college football where we are like not necessarily getting stuck on the the who's end world. But again, I have accepted that we're we're already off and running and we've got this four team. And I do agree that if we expand it to eight, it it at least uh creates that carrot for a few more teams. So oh, how about this? Do you want to do the six or eight? Do y'all have any strong feelings there? Um, <clears throat> my, uh, just so we can argue about getting eight for 12 years or however long that contract, that contract yes. is yeah. like, why would you want to stay at six? I, I don't I, see six as having a, a major advantage in any way. I do. Okay. Okay. I, I see. Here's the thing. Like when I was going through all my ideas and my suggestions, all this stuff that I guess we're going to get to, I wasn't really focused on the number of teams or the format. I was focused on some other changes that I think could make it better or work better. But as far as the number of teams, I prefer sticking to six simply because I think it's a lot more simple in that you have five power, five conference champions, mm -hmm. and then you'd have the highest ranked group of five champion based on however you rank. Because I think that in essence, when you do that, like we talk about, or there's always been a lot of talk about how the conference championship games are losing meaning. Now, the conference championship games essentially just serve as playoff games. They're the first round of the playoff for the most part. Because if you have to win your conference to get in, that conference championship game is the most important game of the season in the Big Ten, in the ACC, you know, whoever gets there. So that game you have to win just to reach the playoff. So it serves as a playoff game. And while there will be some instances of like a, uh, eight and four team pulling up an upset over a team that was ranked number three and was undefeated. If you expand to eight and we go with at largest selected by a selection committee, we're going to be getting eight and four teams in the playoff every single year because there's going to be an SEC team that went eight and four, but it's four losses came to top 10 teams. So they're going to say, oh, well, they still deserve to be in because they don't have a bad loss on the resume. So I don't really see a downside to that. And I think it just makes it a little more interesting and a little more unique. And it provides that aspect of, hey, my team's eight and four, but we're winning our division. So I still have a chance. So I'm, it, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Can you name me any instance of an eight and four team that you think the committee would seriously consider getting in under an eight team playoff? Uh, I think the the nine and three Darnold USC team yeah. was 
the closest thing, right? Maybe maybe on. not eight and four, but plenty of nine and three teams would be in an eight-team yeah. play. And occasionally, maybe there is. I mean, I, I think it would be a long shot, the eight and four, but I think a nine and three would be a team, you know. And I, I also, like, I said this after the Super Bowl, and it was a dumb way of just stating how obvious or like how messed up our system is like Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl if it was college football they wouldn't have made the playoffs you know with the way we select things because they weren't one of the four best teams they weren't a top four seed you know did anybody have a problem with that storyline did anybody have a problem with them winning no actually they would have made the playoffs Washington wouldn't have made the playoffs if we had a selection committee Washington no, but that, only would, got that, would, that wouldn't have been the top four seeds. They didn't have a, you know, they weren't. A, oh, you mean in both conferences or? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Both oh. like four teams. That's it. Like if you yeah, just had okay. four teams from the NFL get in, like that's it. They wouldn't have been in there. And it's got, it's a, it's a dumb analogy. And I knew that going in, but I was like, it is kind of what we do. Like, why do we have a problem if a nine and three team figures it out? You know, like if they're good enough to beat Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, maybe Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson, whatever team they beat, wasn't as great as we thought they were. Like I have no problem. I mean, if a team, sometimes you bench a quarterback. Like Oklahoma this past season was a good year. They were a completely different team the back end of the season when they got back the two guys that helped them on the offensive D side of the ball, defense side of the ball, and they Spencer Rattler figured it out. Like they were a more dangerous team than Notre Dame was at the end of the season, but we didn't let them in because their resume wasn't there, which I think is dumb. But here, here's another aspect of that though that I don't like. Say we get an SEC championship game between a 12 and 0 Alabama and a 10 and 2 Florida. Then 12-0 Alabama beats 10-2 Florida. Tough game, close game. Alabama gets the playoff. Florida gets selected as an at-large. Now Florida gets another shot to beat Alabama in the playoff. And, you know, it's, it's different when you have to play a team for a second time in a season. You know, there's that old cliche of, you know, it's, it's hard to beat a team once. It's more difficult yeah, yeah. to beat them twice. So now Alabama's got to beat Florida twice. And if Florida beats Alabama when it gets, when it's already lost to it, like that first loss then becomes absolutely meaningless. So it's, there's really no punishment for the loss. And I still think that wins and losses need to matter. Screw the regular season. If you go to eight teams in the playoff, the conference championships no longer matter other than you get to say we were conference champions. And that does have meaning, but I just think that there needs to be some finality to it. If you lose your conference, you shouldn't be able to play for a national championship. It's the same way I felt a few years ago when Alabama made the playoff and didn't even win its own division. It's like but they won the national div- championship. I know. I understand. But so if you what? don't win your own division, how should you be eligible to play for a national title? Thank you. So you know how many national championships we would have had at Florida State if you'd have given a gift, like a second chance. If you'd let you Randy like Moss and Peter Warwick and Walter Jones yes. suit up, then 1995 would have been a title-winning year. Yes, I. I go ahead. I disagree with Danny, or excuse me, with with, with Tom a little bit on, on the idea that the conference championship wouldn't mean anything. If you go to eight, I think the other part of this is you are almost certainly not going to have the first round of games at a neutral site, right? Just Mm -hmm. financially, structurally, that wouldn't really work. So you are likely playing to host a playoff game. And I think that would mean something quite like that. would be quite meaningful for Alabama to want that game in Bryant-Denny, right? Or for Florida to want that game in the swamp. I, I think that's how, if you go to eight, that's how you keep these teams from thinking this is meaningless, right? Like if you win... The top four teams get get to host. If you sit out, you're almost certainly not going to going to get to host. I, I think I think that's how you take care of that. So I I think that if you go to eight, 
I would like to see, I think, I think the, what I like is the eight with six auto bids, five from the power conferences, one from the highest ranked group of five champion, two at larges. And then I do think that conference championship Saturday becomes more enticing because of the potential of that eight and four team claiming an auto bid. And if the eight and four team claims an auto bid, then guess what? The favorite is probably going to end up getting one of the at-larges. And See, that's why. It's, so in all of this discussion, when we say get to eight, that to me is almost let's just tweak the system that we have. That's the tweak that we need to make. Now, if you ask what's the perfect system or what system would you prefer, which again, I have no idea if it happens and I wish we could get there, but this has to do with the restructuring of college football and the power five separating from the group of five. Because if you ask me, I would say eight's not the perfect number. Four could be the perfect number still if you had four super conferences, you know, and you play and then the and you did away with divisions, you had, you know, each conference provide a true conference champion, then all you need is four. So we could keep it at four. Like, and then it's the perfect world to me, but like, it's so you can run down these little rabbit holes when you try to figure out what we're going to do and what you come up with. My thing that I pounded the table for, for eight is because I think you could tweak the current system we have. You could still make the committee feel like they're a part of college football, which I can't stand. Like I would love to fire every committee member out there. Like you guys are done. Go back to your cushy athletic director jobs or sit in retirement and you can watch all those games on your DVD still that they're sending to you that you may or may not watch, but go back to just being whatever you do. Let's get people out of the conversation. Let's get selection out of the conversation and let's have the championship determined on the field. Like to me, that would be my ultimate goal. Like let's get all of this subjectivity out of it and just let them earn it on the field. But there's no way that's going to happen with, with, with the current deal because ESPN right. ha- has to get there. Like they have to sell ads against their weekly show they made up, which is going to involve right. debate. But that's, the and that's one reason. And that's one reason why I've been pounding the team for eight, because I do think you could tweak even in the remaining years left. You could tweak it and say, OK, we're going to expand eight. We're still going to have the five automatic uh, you know, power five champs. We'll have three auto bids. But in the scenarios you guys gave. Like I can't stand, and I think that, and it hasn't happened yet, but I think the optics of it would make a lot of people's mind just blow up. Like if we have the conference championship games and we say they matter, but if Alabama had lost to Florida this past year, we all know Alabama would have still advanced with a loss. And that to me is so confusing and so against everything that sports are supposed to be about. And I get it. There's, it's supposed to be a postseason game. It's a championship. So it does mean more, which I think means a loss should matter more. A loss and you're eliminated. So I think we need to get to that space. But even if you tweak it to eight, you're still going to have teams that could potentially lose their conference championship games advance, which I think is a really bad look. But you know what would be hilarious? So if if we if we're doing eight, and if it is five power five conference champions one group of five conference champion, two at-large bids, then Florida's win against Alabama would have knocked, wait for it, Texas A&M out of the playoffs. Yeah, and that would suck because- That would be hilarious. The more deserving team would get knocked out because Alabama gets to stay in because there's, you know, so 
you're you're watering down the product. And I think that no matter what format you use, if you expand the playoff, that's going to be the ultimate result. You're watering down the product. And y'all just want to hand out some participation trophies. I do think that ribbons. I, I think <laughs> the champion still gets the trophy. You, you can get a participation okay. ribbon if you go. So well, now I'm on board. Does watering down the product mean that you you're in that position where you think that uh, expanding the playoff hurts the regular season? Because your argument sounds like it's mostly talking about hurting like conference championship games uh, in in that scenario because the at-large bid team could lose the championship Saturday and still be able to make it, which Notre Dame did this year. Um, you know, that you can, you know, I, I can listen to that, but I still think that the regular season, your September, your October, all that still with an 18 playoff carries the same weight as it does with the 14 playoff. No, I, I think that what ultimately waters down the regular season more than anything is what Bud touched on earlier. And I think, Bud, you were being generous when you said that ESPN waits till the commercials start hyping <laughs> up the playoff games. No, 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 no. They spend the third quarter talking about the playoff while you watch the game go on in the background. I think, and this is one of my changes, regardless of format, I think that what would be good for college football as a whole and good for college football playoff is that when this TV deal comes up and they come up with a new deal, they need to treat it like the NFL treats the Super Bowl. It doesn't belong to one network. It mm. needs to rotate on an annual basis. The main networks that carry and broadcast college football games every single year the title game would rotate between ESPN, ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, whatever networks want to get involved and want to pay for it. So that way it doesn't just become about the one network with 90% of the stock, just constantly pumping that in your face. These four teams are the only things that matter. These games, are the only things that matter, this game you're watching yet yeah, you watch it. We're going to talk about the other games, the ones that truly matter. I think that if you did that, it would water down the, you know, the oversaturation of the college football playoff and that each network with, you know, depending on its conference affiliations would have a greater reason to push its games instead of just the playoff on ESPN. And I think that is the problem. I think that could really help. I mean, I like that. you know what else like you could see? You know what else you could see would be nice? Certain analysts not having to make the case for their conferences team to get in the playoff like this is definitely a conference champ this is definitely a playoff team right here that would be refreshing when you could take that out of the mix but the arguments are what drive the sport right like i don't i don't want it to be too to me all right so that to me is the dumbest like so here we go so chip you're saying that College football is driven by the controversy, by the not the controversy, the debate but the debate. the debate. Yeah. So I totally disagree. Like I, I, like the NFL is king, right? We all agree. Like as much as we love college football, and I prefer college football Saturdays over NFL Sundays. But the NFL is king in our country. Is there? There's no debate about who's like the debate's still going to go on. People are still going to wager their money who they think is going to be better, who they think could win the Super Bowl, who could win the NFC, who could win the AFC. They're still going to formulate their uh, fantasy lineups. People are still going to debate and still going to argue over who is the better team. And the best part about it is we don't have to go and finish the season without knowing. We don't know if Texas A&M at the end of the season figured it out. We don't know if Oklahoma could have beaten one of those teams in the final four. But guess what? If we get a true playoff, we can actually answer all those questions that we debate all year long. It wouldn't go away. Like I, I, that to me, 
uh, is is crazy to talk. Like but it's you lose du- me when you say, dumber. oh, well, the bait it's, is good. It's a dumber it's sport. It's for the sport, but it doesn't drive the sport. College football is so much less predictable than the NFL, and it is so much less, like, sanitized. And I would argue that college football is a lot more predictable than the NFL. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, oh, too, God. for sure. Ooh, okay. So, uh, every If you ask any – well, I'd say – 25 of the 32 fan bases in the NFL, they're probably like, yeah, we got a chance. We can make playoffs. We can make a run. You know, college, college football fans now, this is where I think that adding automatic bids and adding, you know, if you can win your conference, you're in, that brings back the whole Pac-12 into the conversation. They know. They're like, eh, we can't even get in. Like, we're not getting access. Yeah, there's but no talent a lot cap in more. college. What's oh, that? To, there's to, no talent cap in college. When I'm, when I'm thinking unpredictable might have been the wrong word. I'm just thinking that there's just there's – no, there's no absolutely stupid stuff in the NFL quite like what happens on a college football Saturday. You don't get the kind of, like, variance in performances, the um, – the, like just because it is 18 to 22 year olds competing at a high level who are not at the top of their game. I just think that it, it is a more entertaining product because it is beautifully dumb. Like I always talk about how I love wrapping my arms around this big, dumb sport and the stuff that like you would never imagine happening. Uh, a, a quarterback wearing number 36, you know, just getting out there because he's got two kids and he's you know out, out here probably in nine secret fraternities because UVA has got 56 secret societies. Like, like you just, I just think that there's more, um, because it is not a business, because it is uh, not the the high level and the little separation, because I agree with you, if you're just talking about picking winners, it's far more difficult to do that in the NFL than it is in college football. I think I was just speaking about like the predictability of a game day and how many times uh, a college football Saturday seems to provide what is, in my eyes, a little bit more unpredictability or entertainment than an NFL Sunday. So when you say unpredictably dumb, do you mean doing something like starting off 0-13 and and having a ticket to Trevor Lawrence and then inexplicably winning two consecutive games and falling to number two in the draft? That is fascinating. That's because that's... The New York Jets. (laughs) Hey, Justin Fields ain't that bad. Do you... I think it's interesting. Do you guys think... So I get, I was at ESPN. I was at the machine, right? I saw, you know, I was on the first two or three years of the selection show. What's that? You were complicit. I I was complicit. Um, Oh, and that's right. That was the Florida State year too, where no one, they went undefeated and they were number three. And you were right there, right there in the crosshairs. But like, do you think the CBS and Fox who rotate the Super Bowl, like, so I'm I'm just curious to know, because I don't think, Clearly, that's become who's in. The whole promo is dumb, but they still promo their primetime games just as much. It's just throughout the week. It's the who's in and that ad, which is so annoying and it's nauseating. But don't you think? Let's just let's just say they expanded it somehow. They sold off. You know, Disney's struggling. They sold off half to Fox. Don't you think Fox would pick up right there and be like, "Who's in?" Like it's just become the thing that I think every network would run with unless you got to a true playoff. And then I think it would like the NFL, they pump the Super Bowl, but it's not as much of the conversation. It's the weekly matchups that are going to, and that'll always like, it's hard to sell Alabama versus Kentucky or Clemson versus wake. You know, it's, I, I get that. Like it's hard to sell those teams, but I think the brands will still, you should still sell the brands. Like I think Fox is still going to sell Ohio state games and that's, you know, the, 
the ESPN still going to sell the SEC. CBS is going to sell the SEC until they lose it. And then they're going to sell the next conference, whatever it is. You know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought I was curious. I, I think, I, I don't know that it would solve it. I think that it would broaden the conversation more. And I think it would also get rid of like the perception that, well, ESPN is going to put the ACC and SEC teams. That's who they're going to push because, you know, they have the ACC network, they have the SEC network and the big 10 is going to get screwed. If, if you've got Fox as one of the partners broadcasting the game and their entities are the big 12 and the big 10, well, Fox doesn't have any interest in pushing for the SEC other than, you know, for ratings. Right. So, I, so I, I think that would even it out a little bit. It would just spread out the conversation more than anything, but it, another thought I had too, which kind of goes with what you were saying, Danny and Chip, I don't think you'll like it because you love the controversy. I don't but love the like, controversy. I love the debate. I like the yelling. You love the debate and the yelling. I understand. But like we, but you talked about the, the show that ESPN made up for the rankings. What if instead of just having nebulous reasoning behind the rankings and a bunch of people meeting in a in a hotel conference room and then not really answering any questions about why teams are where ranked where they are. What if we did this crazy idea where we standardized the selection process and made it more public and more open. And that way everybody knew everything that they had to know about what each team needs to do to qualify and what each team is doing that is ranking them ahead. Like, you know, we had with the BCS. Now, not everybody understood how the rankings worked, the computer rankings that they used, but you understood what the selection criteria was and what was driving it. So if you come up with something like that and there are guidelines, that would also take away some of the constant who's in, who's out, because we would know. We would just have to look. Well, right now it would be these four teams. But... Why do we need a selection? Why do I, what this is? Yeah, get rid of the selection committee. hundred percent. Like, you want to just go to this formulas for the eight? I, I, go ahead. I, I, but that to me, like why, what that's a solution that I can't stand because we're still letting computers and a combination of, I was a Harris poll voter. Were you guys Harris poll voters? In the no. CS? Mm. So like it's, we're still, we're still convoluting. So we're making something complicated that we don't have to. Like we could create a playoff that's legit, that gets everyone in and you actually see it on the field and there's no debate. There's no, well, that computer plugged in this firm information and this, you know, this favoritism here and it included recruiting rankings and you had these Harris poll. Like, let's just let him figure it out on the field. But you get it. So, I mean, I understand how you would get your six in. How do you decide the two at largest about a selection committee? You could do the same thing. He's talking about the rankings. So you could do the rankings, right? Because they rank them. Is that what you're saying, Tom? Yeah. I see. There's my idea for this would be kind of like I like I said. I prefer six because then it's kind of cut and dried. Your conference champions and your top ranked group of five team, and that would be, I guess, what you had a committee for. Or if you go to eight and they're at large selections, you could you could take uh, a, an example from what they do in Europe with the Champions League, where they decide how many teams each respective league across Europe gets as an automatic qualifier basically it's how you perform in the tournament so they could come up with a coefficient kind of like fifa does with countries for like the world cup where based on how you perform in bowl games and non-conference games against the other conferences you get that berth so if the sec is going like 20 and 2 against other power five conferences over like a three or four year rolling period however you want to do it the number two sec team is going to get one of the at-larges 
we need less soccer in the U.S., not more. Oh, I have Danny, to my got more. start bringing in soccer stuff. We don't want ties. We don't want pools. It's hard enough for me to keep track of my eight-year-old's travel soccer tournament. Who's advancing in these different pools? Let's keep it That's simple. That's it. Okay, so I feel a little bit less attacked as a new bandwagon <laughs> soccer fan. This is coming from Soccer Dad, who has had to <laughs> pour over way too many PDFs, print something out, fill it in, and all he wants to know is what time the game is. I'm trying yes. to make my schedule and see whether or not I can see my daughter play soccer, and I don't understand whether we're at 12.30 or 4.30 based on the results of group a oh give me some aggregate scoring though so we could see teams <laughs> score a hundred points on them that would be awesome because we're doing that i saw that happen a couple weeks ago keep scoring it's nine nothing keep going oh my goodness so soccer dad is, is inferior to golf dad for danny right like you, you'd rather be at, 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 her, at her golf match it's a toss-up. I have both of them. Both. It depends on the weekend. It depends on what weekend it is. So, uh, golf dad is very. It's more stressful because you're on the bag as a caddy, and that can be an emotional roller coaster. Mm. There might have been some curse words uttered out of my mouth directed towards my player. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you get to use rangefinders at that level? Oh yeah, you can use rangefinders okay. at that level. Yeah, I don't say, know you're not. You're not just them. eyeballing. My, my daughter started playing, and she was probably seven years old. And I didn't have a rangefinder because we can't. Like you hit at the same club, you either hit driver, three wood, chipper, or putter. And there's these dads with their rangefinders, like yep, seventy one to the front, eighty two to the pin, and eighty seven to the back. All right, and the kid's seven. Like, what are we doing out here? <laughs> I was gonna say, give it a few more years, and it'll be the curse words going in the other direction. Oh, a three iron, really? You bleep. <laughs> <laughs> um. Before all right, so before we get out of here, any other uh, suggestions or that uh, are are left on the board? I don't want. Uh, I appreciate everybody's preparation for this. I don't want anything to hit the cutting room floor. Even though this this the this debate will lead to more um, mailbag questions and always five stars. Leave the review, put it in the big old bag of mail, and we will continue this. I'm sure. But uh, anything else that you want to make sure that we get out here for uh, the purposes of this discussion? I just want to point out that in the, one of the latest uh, Apple Podcast mailbag questions, I got compared to Rashid Wallace when the Pistons traded for him in 2003-2004, the missing piece that would help make the Pistons into a championship, an already good team. So, I mean, I, I might just get a Sheed jersey. That's... <laughs> Go Absolutely. I think you have to. The question yeah, like, is, which Sheed jersey do you want? Okay? Because... Well, Pistons, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the Pistons one. one. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Although I was like, uh, I don't like Pistons. You know, whatever. For did he end well there? I, I I watch the NBA sometimes. Like, no. did that end poorly? Uh, no, he just no. It didn't he, end poorly. Yeah, he still had like two or three other stops after that. He went to play for the okay. Celtics after that. Um, he spent like a day with the Hawks, and then he's what a day. Yeah, the he's Knicks. he's really been around. Uh, for a little bit. Uh, please go and uh, leave your suggestion, your thoughts on some of our suggestions to the future of the playoff. You can do that to the big old bag of mail. Five stars. Follow and stream us on Spotify. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliot3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Finnelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Ball don't lie. <laughs>